0: Our scripture lesson today is taken from the 12th chapter of Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, a letter in which he consistently calls people in the Spirit to be unified for the common good, and that is one of the themes of this letter. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another, the discernment of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Will you pray with me? Gracious God, I pray that you speak through me and when and where necessary in spite of me. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, in the time that I have with you all, I would like to preach and teach on a sermon entitled, Ready to Activate ready to activate. The summer after my freshman year of high school, I read a book. And that statement alone is cause for concern. (laughs) I had lost the love of reading late into middle school, so it seemed strange to me that I read a book during the summer, and a book for pleasure at that. But that book was entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens by Sean Covey. When I was in middle and high school in the late nineties and early two thousands, the niche market spinoff what book was king. Maybe you remember the never ending volumes of chicken soup for the soul. Any book could be tweaked for the younger market, and this was the case with seven habits of highly effective teens, a juvenile twist on seven habits seven habits of highly effective people. I loved this teen version. All the metaphors I read about were surely going to help me make it through sophomore year and the rest of high school as an exemplary teenager. Whether that happened or not is up for some debate, but what I do remember about the book is this one thing, so many years later, that it sticks with me every time I see that book as a bargain book at Barnes & Noble. (laughs) This is what I learned from Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. There are a lot of different talents. And not only are there a lot of different talents, gifts and skills everyone has them. There are enough of these talents, gifts and skills that no one has to go without. The summer after my freshman year of high school, I really needed to hear this. I went to high school, I went to a high school where seemingly everyone had their thing. The school was an IB school for international baccalaureate as well as a gifted and talented magnet school. But I had no public gifts. I couldn't sing or dance. Despite being tall, I didn't play basketball or any other sport for that matter. I wasn't at the top of my class academically. I held no leadership positions. I knew after freshman year that I was going to graduate without getting a letter in anything. Now, reading in Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens that there are a lot of different talents was a lifesaver. It listed things like being a good listener or being a friend. Gifts, skills, and talents that weren't all that obvious. It is hard to navigate high school, an environment often ripped with public demonstrations of gifts and talents. Not having a thing can make you the subject of ridicule or make you feel inferior. There's often a social hierarchy which implies that certain people are more important than others. How this hierarchy comes to be can feel rather arbitrary. All that is to say, for a 14-year-old Whitney, this idea that everyone had a talent was important. When I read over Paul's letter to the church in Corinth in preparation for today's sermon and read how Paul is reminding the community that there are different gifts services services, and ministries, it warmed my proverbial 14-year-old heart. The passage today is also a reminder that too often the church, like my high school, gets it wrong. Both are communities prone to placing people in categories based on what they produce or do well, how these different gifts are manifest publicly. With division often comes labels. Labels often pit one person against another, one group against another. Divisions breed, breed things like jealousy, arrogance, and a propensity to compare ourselves to others. So Paul is writing to a divided church, a church that has forgotten to strive for a more excellent way because competi- competition and condescension, cond- condescension have captivated this community. Word has gotten out to Paul that the church in Corinth, where he spent a year and a half longer than any other community throughout all of his travels, is divided. You can read through the schisms all throughout this letter. Be it table etiquette or something else, the church in Corinth is divided. And Paul seeks to echo the truth of the gospel. A house divided against itself cannot stand. This is why Paul is writing. Paul has heard about this divisive community. He begins this particular letter with, Now concerning, which means that word had got to Paul. Certain gifts are being valued over others. And even worse, the credit is going to self and not to the spirit. So Paul writes to straighten the church out. Paul writes to remind them who they are to connect them back to the source. Paul's writing here is in a rhetoric style meant to persuade a whole group of people to change their behavior. This morning, I'd like to illustrate three ways that the behavior needs to change for this coastal church in Corinth so that they might be ready to be activated in the world. In order to be activated in the world, the church must change from division to diversity, Our denomination values unity and diversity. Diversity is demographic for the church, just as it has always been from the birth of the church, which Patrick told so eloquently in the children's sermon and the story of Pentecost and Acts. To the church in Corinth, the church is comprised of folks from various socioeconomic classes. But demographic diversity is just one aspect of diversity. We are a gathering of difference. Different stories, different backgrounds, different calling, different life experiences, and different gifts. Being different is good. Being different is good for the church. Difference is not bad. Division is. What irks Paul in this community is not that the people in Corinth are different. No, the church is best when it is a motley crew of faithful folks seeking to bring humanity in reach of something higher. The church is a gathering just like this gathering of eighth graders from different schools and different families, different paths to Westminster. The church gathered will always be the church diverse. We are called by the spirit to be diverse, but not divided. The Corinthians are guilty of saying that certain spiritual gifts are better than others. They have made certain gifts a status symbol, particularly the gift of speaking in tongues, an issue that Paul will address later in the book. We all have different gifts. All gifts are good, all gifts are worthy, and all gifts are not ours to boast, but a grace abundantly poured out on all of us by the Holy Spirit, for the common good. Before we activate, we must be uni- unified in our diversity, not by our differences. In this passage, Paul lists off a variety of spiritual gifts, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, working of miracles, prophecy, and tongues, and this list is not exhaustive. The church is a gathered community comprised of difference and a variety-seeking a common good. Secondly, in order to be activated in the world, the church must change from being self-guided to spirit-guided. One of the issues that is dividing the church is that not only have the people pit certain gifts against each other, but also have started to believe that whatever gifts they have, they have obtained themselves. Spiritual gifts are not merit-based, thus nothing we do on our own merits correlation to our giftedness. Gifts are not bargained for, but bestowed upon. The Holy Spirit, she who is wind, she who is fire, loud like thunder, and yet that still small voice lavishes upon us gifts. Each of us is gifted. There is a manifestation of this creative, comforting, convicting calling spirit in each of us. It is the spirit that breathes into us these gifts. The spirit is always willing and ready to activate within us a little more of himself. So the variety of gifts that come to us today in these confirmands, in Olivia, and Sarah, and Caroline, and Matthew, who is using his gifts right now at a dance recital, and Julia, and Rachel, and Henry, and Michaela, and Emma is not because they are smart, which they are, or because they are kind, which they are, or because they are curious, which they are. No, the gifts that we look forward to witnessing in the class of Compromands this morning, and the gifts we witnessed through all, throughout all of Westminster, past, present, and future, are spirit-guided and not self-guided. And the same spirit that called you and I in our uniqueness calls the person in the pew next to you. Finally, in order to to be activated in the world, the church must come together for the common good. As our scripture ends this morning, Paul begins with writing one of the most well-known metaphors for the church, the church as a body. Paul is reminding us that the body doesn't work in isolation. The different gifts given by the same spirit are given so that gathered so that the gathered might work together for the common good. Spiritual gifts are not meant to be used in isolation, but to be used together for the common good. Now, as a child of the 90s, I spent a significant amount of my time after school and on Saturday mornings watching television, some of which is atrocious now, but For the point of metaphor, I'd like to talk about a television show I would stumble upon some afternoons entitled Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Now, the Power Rangers were a group of teenagers who each had a color and a random animal associated with them. And each different in their own ways, different family situations, different gifts, different ethnicities, and different skills they brought together to the Power Rangers Enterprise in what seems to be a million-dollar-making Power Rangers franchise. But the Power Rangers were at their best when they worked together for the common good. They usually worked to defeat a common enemy, some veneration or allies of their villain, Rita Repulsa. And every episode never ended with when the five to seven Rangers, depending on which season of the show you were watching, had not come together for the common good each jumping out of some seemingly nowhere place in colorful spandex proclaiming their name, each capable of some victories individually, but their biggest victories came when they worked together, when the different rangers came together ready to be activated to achieve a common goal. Today, nine young people joined the church. The spirit has breathed into them some amazing gifts just as the Spirit has done so for everyone in this church. Different gifts, but valued gifts, all given by the same Spirit for the purpose of the common good. Westminster, you've got the gifts. You've received the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to activate? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.